So I'm going to start with a question. What do you think is the uh, most powerful weapon in the world? It's the most powerful weapon you can think of. What do you think, Zeke? God. Okay, how about something that's not in the Bible? That's a good answer, Zeke. What do you guys got back there? Flamethrower? That's pretty good. What about you, Solomon? A sword. What do you got? A super laser. Any any other suggestions? Iron Man. Iron Man is a very powerful weapon. All right, let's go. Let's go with flamethrower. All right, I think they're all really good suggestions. So, kids, what would you say if I told you that this morning, uh, you know, about ten minutes ago, when we were walking to our car to come to church, uh, someone came out of the bushes and shot a flamethrower at me. And in order to defend myself, I opened up this envelope right here and caught the flames inside and then sealed the envelope up. What do you think? Do you think that there is an explosion of a flamethrower inside this envelope? (laughs) What do you guys think? You think there's flames in here? Why not? Why don't you think there's flames in here? What do you think? It would have already caught on fire, right? This is just an envelope. It's made out of paper. Can paper stop the most powerful weapon in the world? No, because it's, it's paper, right? It's not, not powerful. I can, I can rip it in half. We can open it up and there are, there are no, no flames inside, right? Uh, that's a joke. I didn't get attacked with a flamethrower. <laughs> And I didn't stop it with this, this envelope. But that illustration, that story, the point of it is that that's kind of what Christmas is like. Right? Zeke gave the answer of what the most powerful anything is in the world, and that's God. Right? God is all-powerful. All the power that there is, God has. And yet, what does Christmas tell us? What has God become? He becomes Jesus. And how, is, how does Jesus come into the world? As what? I'll give you a hint. They cry a lot. A baby. That's exactly right. And are babies really powerful? No, right? What are babies like? They're kind of like this envelope, right? They, they can't do anything by themselves. They can't take care of themselves. Uh, if they fall down two flights of stairs, they bust open their lip and you have to take them to the ER. Like That's what happens to babies. They're breakable. And yet Christmas tells us that the most powerful being in the universe came into our world as a baby in order to become like us to redeem us. And so as you kids uh, get really excited about Christmas and, and all that that means I would encourage you to, with your parents, spend time thinking about the truth that Jesus became a baby, that God became a baby in order to redeem us, and ask them more about that. Uh, Ask them to talk to you about what that means for you as a kid. Uh, So let's pray, and then we'll read our passage this morning. Father, we thank you that you are all-powerful, that you know everything, that you're in control of everything, that you have planned everything for, for our good and for your glory. 
God, I pray that this morning, that as we look again at the story of Christmas, at how You sent Your Son into the world to save us, that we wouldn't overlook the graciousness and the glory that's present in this story because we've heard it so many times before. I pray that You would grip our hearts again with the truth of Your Word, with the reality of Christmas. Jesus, it's in Your name we pray. Amen. So today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start reading in, verses, uh, in verse 26. And we're going to read through verse 38. Again, that's Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So for me, as we kind of launch into the second sermon in our Advent series, every year the the purpose that that. I desire for myself, for us thinking about and talking about Advent, and the purpose that I desire for all of you uh, is that our hearts would be re-engaged with this story that we've heard year after year after year because our lives are so busy, because there's so many distractions, because this time of year just gets packed with thing after thing after thing. We have all kinds of holiday parties. We have to, you know, buy Christmas presents. We have to decorate the house. We have to clean the house because people are coming over. And then we have to, you know, clean it again because they're coming again. Uh, We have to do all this stuff. And as we're doing all this stuff for Christmas, what usually happens, at least what happens in my life is that I spend more time doing Christmas stuff than actually thinking about what it means, than actually spending time worshiping Jesus for the fact that He came into this world to save me. I spend all my time on superficial Christmas stuff and not really the stuff that matters. And so Advent, for me, and I hope for you too, is something that rips us out of that and and brings us back to what matters and causes us to spend our time thinking about those things instead of all the other stuff which wants to steal our attention away from Him. And so as we read this story that that we've probably heard a bunch of times uh, this morning, I want us to focus on two things in order to kind of accomplish that, to try to make this real to us in a way that uh, just reading it and 
disregarding it won't do. And that's I want us to focus on the humanity of Mary and the, the divinity of Jesus. So the fact that Mary was a real, living, breathing, human person who was existing, and this story happened too. I know that like we all know that, right? We know Mary was a real person. But when we read Bible stories again and again and again, what happens is we kind of dehumanize these people. Uh, we don't really think about the fact that these events actually happen to them. And so I want us to focus on a few details of this story to help us do that today. And then the second part, she's going to get from this angel a kind of a six-part description of who her son is going to be. He's going to be the one that's going to answer uh, pretty much everything that's been promised about him in the Old Testament. And as he's describing her son, he's going to give her some clues that that's who this Jesus is going to be. So start in verse 26 and 27. What's happening here is Luke is just setting the scene. He's giving his reader, he's giving us the details that we need in order to understand what's taking place in this story. So he says uh, this happened in the sixth month. We're going to find out down in verse uh, 36, that the sixth month isn't the sixth month of the year, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So last week, Daniel talked about the announcement of John the Baptist's birth. Six months later, Elizabeth is pregnant, and this happens to her relative, Mary. Gabriel, an angel of God, was sent uh, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. He specifies that it's a city of Galilee named Nazareth because this, this reader, Theophilus, like, he doesn't know Nazareth because it's not a significant city, right? If I go uh, pretty much anywhere outside of Missouri and talk to anyone, uh, unless they're like a huge Mark Twain person, if I say I live in Hannibal, they don't know what that means. And so usually I'll say something like, I live in Hannibal, Missouri. It's, it's about an hour and a half north of St. Louis. And then they go, oh, okay. Like I know St. Louis. I can pick that out on a map. You're, you're up there. Somewhere, unless they know Mark Twain and they're like, oh my gosh, Hannibal, that's so awesome. I want to come visit. <laughs> so Luke tells Theophilus, he tells us it's a city of Galilee named Nazareth because Nazareth is not an important city. And I think here this is just one of those details in the story which should drive home the truth of this, 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 this story, this account. Because if Luke was making this up, he would not say that it happened in this insignificant city, right? If right now I said, I will bet any of you $100 that the next president of the United States will come from Hannibal, Missouri, how many people would take that bet? Okay, either you guys are all against gambling, and so you don't bet, or you think that that's a really high probability. I don't think that's a high probability. Uh, so if you want to bet the other side, I will take you up on that and talk to me after. Hannibal's an insignificant city. Nazareth is an insignificant city. So it's unlikely that the Messiah would come from there, but that's what happens. Uh, he appears in the city to speak to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Notice in that sentence that the last detail he gets to is what her name is. Because since Jesus is going to be the Messiah, it's far more important what his lineage is in the distance than it is who his mom is. So he wants to make sure that we know that this person that he's being born to is part of the tribe of David because the things that he's going to tell us later about this person that's going to be born is that he is a descendant of David who's going to take David's throne. So it matters that he's born into this family in this place. He's, uh, he tells us that 
Mary is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Next week, we're going to look at Joseph's story, and so we'll talk more about what it means to be betrothed. But today, just, just know that it's, it's like an engagement, only a whole lot more serious. It's a formal kind of legal contract that's entered into by the families involved. It's not just a guy asks a girl, she says yes, and if they change their mind later, you know, it'll be awkward, but they can do that. In this case, uh, what we're going to see next week, in order to get out of a betrothal, the only option is divorce. So it's almost like they're already married, uh, but not quite. So this is, this is who he's appearing to, this, this Mary. And this is what he says, verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What he's saying here, this word favor, it's the same word we see elsewhere in the New Testament for grace. He's saying the one who's been shown grace. So right here we know that Mary hasn't done anything to deserve this angel appearing to her, telling her that the Messiah is going to be born through her. This is, this is grace. This is undeserved favor from God. She hasn't done anything to get it, but God is giving it to her anyway. And so I, I don't think that a, a statement like this should give us cause to, to worship or revere Mary. Uh, it's saying that she is shown grace from God uh, just like everyone else is. We don't deserve it, and yet he bestows it upon us anyway. And then he says, the Lord is with you. And here, it might be my personality and my sense of humor, but I kind of imagine Gabriel saying this with a slight smirk on his face. Right? The Lord is with you. Wink, wink. Because, because he is. <laughs> He's there. Uh, and so, I don't know. <laughs> Mary, greeted by this angel, responds kind of like Zechariah does at the beginning. She's greatly troubled, right? If you're at your house in a room and someone appears, that's going to be troubling to you. It's going to be shocking. It's going to startle you. You're going to try to figure out what is happening right now and how do I need to respond to this situation that I've been presented with. So that's what she's doing here. She's greatly troubled at the saying. She's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so the angel, Gabriel, reassures her. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Again, God is showing you grace. He's giving you something that you don't deserve. He's going to explain what this is. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And right here I want us to stop. We're going to talk about everything that comes next, this kind of six-part description of who her son is going to be. But just right here he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. So let's, let's move forward in the story. She's going to ask a question about this. Verse 34. And then we're going to come back and talk about all that other stuff. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Literally what she's saying here is, I've never known a man in the biblical sense. She's saying, how, how can I be pregnant when I haven't done what you need to do in order to get pregnant? He responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will called, be called Holy, the Son of God. And then, for an extra kind of argument in favor for what he's saying, he says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. He's saying this lady who you've known most of your life as barren is six months pregnant. So he's saying this is how you can know that it's true. And here... 
Last week we talked about Zechariah. We saw his question to the angel. He said, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel responded very negatively to that. Because what Zechariah is doing is he's asking for proof. How will I know that what you're saying to me is true? Mary's question is very, very different than that. Right? She doesn't say, how can I know? She's not saying, prove it to me. She's not saying, show me how I know that what you're saying is true. Instead, she just says, how's it going to happen? I, I, I believe you. I believe what you're saying. I'm, I'm receiving your message, but I'm a virgin, so how could I possibly be pregnant? How is this going to happen? She's asking about logistics, not about the truthfulness. And he explains that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her, and it's, the child in her is going to be conceived by God's power. And here, I think, is a good place for us to think about the reality that Mary is a person. Right? She's, she's the mother of Jesus. She's, you know, the little blue and white statue in our nativity sets. But she actually existed. She, she lived. She died. This story happened to her. And I want to read you this quote uh, from a biblical scholar named Bob Stein. He says, At this time, Mary likely was no more than 15 years old, probably closer to 13, which was the normal age for betrothal. That's insane. And this isn't just one kind of crazy scholar who's like, let me say something ridiculous if some pastor will quote it in the sermon one day. Uh, This is kind of common consensus. She was young. And like this happens in her life. This angel breaks into her world, gives her this announcement, says, you're going to have a son. And she says, how's this going to happen? I've never even had sex. And the reality for her as a young woman in this world, as someone who's betrothed to somebody else, was that this was bad news. There's, there's good news coming, and we're going to talk about this, but it meant a whole lot of bad stuff in her life. Uh, she, at, at best, right, gets publicly shamed, damages her family's reputation for generation after generation after generation. When I was working on my dissertation, I looked a lot at like, the, the relationship between honor and shame in the ancient world, and the way it worked was if your family had a bad name, that determined who you could do business with. People that had a better name than you wouldn't do business with you. And so like her bringing shame on her family in this way meant that like their family was affected in a big, big way. Like It's not like our world to where like we can all just go to Walmart and buy stuff. It would be like if you had to have a certain credit score in order to go to Walmart and buy stuff. Obviously, That's not the case. So Mary is incredibly young, and yet her response to this, verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She willingly takes on this burden, all this potential bad stuff coming into her life. And the reason why she does it is because of the good news she gets that we kind of skipped over. And so we're going to go back and talk about that. The reason why I want to do that this way uh, is because the gospel isn't just good news. 
It, it is good news, but it's good news that specifically answers bad news. Right? Whatever it is that's in our lives that's bad, the gospel is the answer to. And so for her, she gets this really bad hand dealt to her. You're going to have a baby out of wedlock in a world in which that is a very, very, very bad thing. But this is who your son's going to be. And he tells her six things. First, you shall call his name Jesus. Mary, as a Hebrew, knows that the name Jesus means something like Yahweh is salvation. Matthew, next week, is going to specifically draw that out. But he's saying that this is who your son's going to be. He's going to be a person that somehow brings God's salvation into the world. Number two, he says that he will be great. This is different than John the Baptist. Last week, John the Baptist was called great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus is great in an unqualified way. The reason why he can say this about him is because God is the standard of greatness. Right? Everything else is great as it compares to him. He is great in every possible way. He is perfect in every possible way. And so Luke can just say through, uh, or God can say through Gabriel, and Luke writes it so we can read it, that Jesus will be great. He'll be called Son of the Most High. Most High is just a kind of poetic way to refer to God. John later, the baby we talked about last week is going to be born, is called a prophet of the Most High. Jesus is different than that. He's better. He's greater. He is God's son, not just his prophet. The next thing, or the next three, you're all kind of related. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. This is why it's important for us to know that Jesus is a descendant of David. He's going to inherit David's throne. He's going to be the promised king that Israel has been waiting for generation after generation after generation. Daniel talked last week about that kind of period of silence where they were just waiting for a word from God. They were waiting for God to keep all the promises that he had made in the Old Testament. And so now that God has broken the silence, his angels appeared to Zechariah and is appearing to Mary, he's telling her that those promises that you've been waiting to be fulfilled are being fulfilled now in this son that you're going to have. He's going to inherit the throne of his father David. And he tells us two more things about this. First, He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. He's going to be a ruler over God's people forever. There's no term limit for him as king. He is the king and he always will be. No one is going to take his throne away and he's not going to surrender it to anyone. And then last, his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. So not only is he going to reign forever, but those who participate in his kingdom as its citizens will exist there with him forever. So her son is a very unique person. He's the one that's fulfilling all the promises that God made to his people in the Old Testament. He's the one who's going to carry them out to completion forever. So even though Mary gets this baby that has the potential to destroy her world, Gabriel also tells her that this baby is going to save her world. He's going to make it new. He's going to make all the bad things disappear. He's going to redeem her. He's going to redeem those around her. He's going to bring God's salvation and his kingdom in a way that has been promised for ages. There's, right, this Christmas song, 
that that plays a lot and people really like it. Uh, and so if you're one of those people, I'm sorry. Uh, but it's Mary, did you know? And I think the answer is, is yeah, she did. <laughs> right? I mean, like, she didn't know everything. She didn't know that he would one day walk on water. Uh, that's pretty much the only line of the song I know. Sorry. <laughs> but Gabriel is telling her, this is who your son is going to be. And, and she has faith that God is going to keep that promise. And that's why she responds to this news the way that she does. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She's not just saying, I'm going to do this. She's saying, I want you to keep your promises. Not just to her in this story, but all the promises that Israel has been waiting to be fulfilled. She's placing faith that God is going to keep those promises through the birth of her son, through this event that's unfolding in her life. And so, as as we celebrate Christmas, I mean, I would just encourage you to continue to reread these stories that you've known and look for stuff that you haven't seen before, to focus on the reality that these stories actually happen, that these are real people, real characters who are, who are participating in God's story of redemption, and that these things happen. The Christmas story isn't just a story. That's what we should be talking about during the holiday season. That's what we should be praising God for during the holiday season. Not that, you know, we got the Xbox we wanted or, or whatever else it is. I, I don't want an Xbox. Please don't buy me one. Uh, but like, whatever it is that we think this is what's going to bring me joy during the season, getting through the holidays without arguing with my family. If that happens, then it'll be a good Christmas. It's a good Christmas no matter what. And it'll be better if we tell this story the way we should tell this story to those around us so that they can have the good news break into their life in the same way that we've had it break into ours. And if you're here this morning and you're someone who that's not true for you, you don't, you don't know what it means when I say that the, the gospel has broken into your life, that you've been redeemed, that you've placed your faith in this baby who's born into the world to redeem it. Uh, I would encourage you to talk to somebody about that before you leave. Um, don't, don't just let that go by without asking about it. I'm not saying that you know, someone's going to pressure you into a really bad conversation that you don't want to have. Um, but have the courage to ask about it so that you can know what it is that we're talking about when we say that, that Jesus saves, that he redeems, that he's brought salvation, that his kingdom has come. I think the only last thing that I want to say is that I would encourage you to be somebody who responds to God's world word like Mary does, right? We don't read the Bible just to see the human characters and say, you know, be like this human character. I think the point of the Bible is that God is great, but he demonstrates his greatness by using broken people to accomplish his story. That's what he's doing with Mary, and Mary is, is walking in it. She's playing her part in it. And we are too. Right? God's redemptive story that began in Genesis and ends in Revelation hasn't ended yet. We haven't gotten there. And so like Mary, like 
Zechariah last week, like Joseph next week, like the shepherds, like Simeon, we are playing our part in God's story. And so I would encourage you to be someone who responds with faith to God's promises, who responds with faith and obedience to his word, and who is a good character in the story. Not an antagonist, not someone who prevents his plot from being accomplished. So I'm going to pray, and then Matt's going to come and more songs. All right, I'll pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word and that your good news is always good news regardless of what kind of day we've had. God, I pray that as we join our voices to worship you one last time this morning, I pray that you would just stir our affections for you and for your son and for who he is and what he's done for us. I pray that we would see your good news as good news and that we would long for the end of the story. Jesus, we pray that you would come quickly. We thank you that you came the first time. You have already done so much for us. But we pray that you would Just continue to keep all of your promises to us and bring them to their fulfillment. Amen.